Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power. Come shed abroad a Savior's love that it may kindle ours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In my first year of seminary, in one of my first preaching classes, we got to that point in the semester where everyone has to give a sermon to the class. Um, It's a nerve-wracking experience when you're a first-year seminary student. It's still a nerve-wracking experience today. And because it was one of those settings where we're asked to evaluate one another, Um, The rule was that you had to leave everything, your electronic devices, your bags, out in the hallway so that there was nothing that would distract you from listening attentively. Everyone except our professor. And it wasn't that Anna Carter Florence was setting a different standard for herself as the professor. It's that she listened best when she was knitting. In fact, Um, Some of the older students uh, at the seminary told us that she was a much kinder evaluator of sermons if she was knitting. You did not want her knitting needles to stop while you were preaching. The thing is that our typical worship experience is primarily an auditory experience. But not all of us learn or listen or engage best with our ears alone. We have lots of different ways of encountering God, lots of different ways of learning. And so for those of you who listen and learn best with your hands, like Anna, then today is for you. I'm giving you permission to not look at me, to play as I preach, trusting that the Spirit might do something in your hands as much as it will with my words. And if today makes you anxious because this kind of artistic encounter with God's word is not your thing, then I pray that you are uncomfortable in exactly the right ways. Maybe God will surprise you. As you hear God's word read and proclaimed and you work with that model magic in your hands, I invite you for the next little bit to reflect on this question. How is God molding and shaping your life right now? And to craft your clay into a symbol of God's beauty or hope for your life or the world, however concrete or abstract it may be. If we get partway through the sermon and you don't like the looks of what's in your hand, smush it up and start over. You cannot fail, so why not try? But as you work with your hands, I invite you to listen again to the word of God from the prophet Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. Scripture says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord was this. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So Jeremiah went down to the potter's house, and there was the potter working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you just as the potter has done? That question is as important for us today as it was for Jeremiah and the people of Israel all those years ago, but um, perhaps it helps us to remember the context into which God spoke these words. It was a turbulent, one might even say traumatic time in the world. Jeremiah was called to prophesy to the people of Judah in a time of destruction and turmoil, of bondage and exile. The people of Judah were experiencing years of invasion and then occupation and then deportation. The collapse of the, all, everything they knew about in their community around them. The Babylonian invasion in 587 had destroyed their temple devastated their sense of community, and left them in a place where the future felt wildly uncertain and hope was hard to find. Alongside all of these external forces that were happening in the world, there were internal forces of faith that were collapsing as well because the people of Israel had turned from their relationship with God. They had worshipped any number of idols and devoted their love to lesser gods, says Jeremiah. And as a result of the chaos in their lives, they were facing not one but a collection of crises. Destruction of their community and a crumbling of their faith in God. And it was in this particular moment that Jeremiah was called to prophesy to God's people. It wasn't a job he was looking for, and the word he had for Israel was not an easy one to share. This young prophet Jeremiah was called to speak truth about the consequences of their unfaithfulness in an already traumatic time. You can understand why they often call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. How do you help people trust God when their capacity to survive and make a way forward feels uncertain? How do you bring a word of truth, even if it's difficult, to a people who can't envision a future? What do you say to a group of people who have lost their sense of hope? And lest we think that this is a problem just for Jeremiah's time, Jeremiah could just as well bring this word to us today. There are weeks, a lot of them right now, where it feels like the world is falling apart. This week alone, we heard threats of nuclear war. Wildfires and hurricanes are raging. Interest rates are rising. People fear recession. Political strife and tensions are swirling all around us. So maybe we too are asking some of these same questions. Where is God in the midst of it all? Where do we put our hope? And so when we're struggling to trust the ground underneath our feet, it might seem strange to hear God's instruction to Jeremiah. Go to the potter's house. Really? Why? 
Why play with a piece of clay in our hands this morning? Doesn't that feel just a little bit childish and juvenile? But that's exactly what God told Jeremiah to do. Watch the potter at work at his wheel, and there you will hear God's word. In this space of creation, you will find truth and hope. It occurs to me that we hold lots of images for God. God as father and God as mother. God as shepherd, king, governor, guide. God the ruler, the judge, the builder. God the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And yet this morning we get a very different picture of who God is. God is the potter, the artist. And the image of God as an artist sounds at first gentle, innocuous, focused on beauty rather than power. But what we learn is that this image of God comes with great power. Power to form and reform. Power to create and recreate. Power to shape and reshape. God the potter draws us back to the image of the God who put God's hand in the dirt of the earth and shaped and formed us out of the dust in Genesis 2, who breathed life into us and called us very good. God the potter, the creative creator, desires a relationship with humanity, with Israel, with us. And that relationship is not fixed but dynamic and responsive. Just as the clay responded to the potter's hands, the potter responds to the clay. And so when Jeremiah peers into the prophet's house and watches him at the wheel, he realizes that God's power to create wasn't limited to the story of creation in Genesis, but is an ongoing dynamic process. And that is when, God, when Jeremiah hears the word from the Lord. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? As the clay is in the potter's hands, you are in my hands. And if we continued on in the, the 18th chapter, we would hear that Jeremiah's prophetic word from God continues at one moment, I may declare, says God, that I will pluck up, break down, and destroy. But if you turn from evil, I will change my mind. And at another moment, I may declare that I will build and plant. But if you do evil in my sight, I will change my mind. I will be the first to admit that it can be uncomfortable thinking about a God who can change God's mind. The Westminster Confession of our church holds that God is infinite, perfect, all-sufficient, eternal, and unchangeable. We are accustomed to believing it, that God is fixed. And yet, according to Jeremiah, God the potter is as capable of changing God's mind as we are. At worst, it runs the risk of God seeming fickle, like we have to please an unpredictable parent. But at its best, it unveils the reality and complexity of a God in loving relationship, capable of responding to us and our needs with tremendous love. So perhaps God is trying to artfully and carefully reveal that the relationship God has with humanity with us is dynamic. 
It's not that God's grace is conditional or that God's love will be withheld if we act poorly or even that the nature of God itself changes, but that our actions matter to God as much as God's actions matter to us. This was a time in which the people of Israel found themselves at a crossroads. Some felt that their actions didn't matter to anyone. Some felt they were just doing what they had to do to survive. Some felt that God had abandoned them. And so the idea that God the potter has the power to shape them and their future seemed a little bit hard to believe. And yet, there was a comfort, even a hope, in the idea that the potter remained connected to the clay. Because maybe, just maybe, if God is still at work, then the destruction and turmoil and pain that they were experiencing wouldn't be their fate forever. The future, in fact, was left open, awaiting some kind of a repentant response. But we'd be the first to admit that change isn't easy. God the potter is inviting us into this kind of raw, vulnerable work of being reformed. And maybe we've signed up for that, or maybe we haven't. Marjorie Bankson is an accomplished potter and a spiritual guide at the Church of Our Savior in Washington, D.C. And through the clay in her hands, she learned much about this work of being reformed by God. She offers classes on occasion, and one day she invited some friends to stand around her as she turned on the wheel, and she put a hunk of clay down on the wheel, and they watched it begin to sort of spin and wobble. And if we imagine that we were that piece of clay as Jeremiah envisioned, she saw that wobbling, spinning wheel as all of the threats and uncertainties of the world around us, constantly in motion. If you let it sit there long enough, it's enough to pull you off center. The forces of life will do that, you know. And then she observed that while the clay was on the wheel, it appeared stiff and cracked and hard and unmoving at points. But she then said the combination of the warmth of her hands and water to hydrate is all it takes for clay to soften and be remoldable. And if that is true, then perhaps the warmth of the Spirit's breath and the waters of baptism are all it takes for us to soften and be moldable in the potter's hand. Warmth and water. There is something beautiful about being claimed in the waters of baptism when we're a child, of resting our whole lives in the promises of God. But I sometimes wonder if um, baptism is something we do on our like, parenting checklist for our child. Child's born, at some point you schedule the baptism, fate accomplished. And we forget that faith is a process of being shaped and reshaped our whole life long. I wonder how many of us think about our baptism not as something that we did in the past, something that our parents or grandparents told us about, but if we lived as if our baptism is a, a thing we are doing even now. 
What would change about our walk of faith if we saw ourselves as the clay that can be molded only if it is regularly refreshed in the living waters of God? When we hit points in our journey of faith when we feel cracked and stale and dried out, what might change if we found ourselves rehydrated in the promises of God by investing in the life of a community? I wonder what beauty and new life might spill forth from us if we allowed the potter to reshape and remake us. God's power as a potter is a reminder that the work of creation and recreation is never done. Even in times when that wobbling wheel of life adds stress and anxiety and uncertainty to our future, if we stay close to God, then the door is open for our reformation. And out of that reformation, beauty and possibility and hope. We heard that in Paul's word to the Corinthians this morning. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be clear that the extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible within us. God the potter has the power to take our cracked selves and reshape us and remold us and rehydrate us and remake us so that deep, a deeper, richer, more loving, more beautiful relationship can emerge. So how is God molding and shaping your life right now? And will you offer that life to God?